it ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fin side. Dolphins fans, thank you for joining us here on the Fin side. We will be with you and providing coverage for you over the next nine months until mid-May. Please follow us on Facebook and on Twitter on the Fin side throughout the year. And please feel free to contribute as well with the hashtag OTFS. Paul, looking at this 53-man roster, the Dolphins definitely surprised us for the capture. Uh, there were a handful. Um, uh I wouldn't surprise you Dallas Thomas starting for right now. I know a lot of people probably were. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that Xavier Howard was surprised at some of the shuffles on the offensive line, even though I know Jermon Bushrod has been working at right guard. Uh, I was a little surprised to see that. Uh, I was Turner as a starter. And then Tony Lippett starting since Xavier Howard is not on the on the depth chart at all. Tony Lippett was definitely surprised to see. Yeah, I was glad Tony Lippett was ahead of everybody else on that depth chart. Uh, Lippett, I think, has some physical, some raw tools, a big, long guy, where Chemdi Chekwa, I think, has been, you know, he has been a career special teamer up to this point. You know, he was a former fourth-round pick at Ohio State in 2011. Is big. Maybe he's somebody who blossoms a little bit later in his career. But happy to see on there. Billy Turner, I was definitely happy to see at that right card spot. I expect a big year out of him, playing in between Mike Pouncey and Juwan James. Arian Foster, too, not listed as the starter. Jay Ajaye listed as the starting running back in this initial depth chart. Did that surprise you, Paul? Uh, not at all. It's pretty much what I expected. I know what we talked about it this spring. We talked about the fact that Arian Foster is probably going to sign in July and how we like Miami's chances there. And how really, given his injury history, even though he has been a great player in the past, he's a guy that needs spot duty to stay healthy at this point in his career. So being that guy that comes in, comes off the bench, and spells judge, I, I think that's the right move. And I think that's probably something they talked about during negotiations with any way you slice it at the running back spot, we're not going to see any of these running backs be the bell cow. I don't see a Jay Ajayi or Arian Foster or Kenyon Drake in any situation touching the ball 250 times. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I, I believe that if your offensive line is where it needs to be, your passing game is, and then from the running back spot, it's a good thing if you're swapping out different physical traits where you have Arian Foster with that smooth downhill running, Ajayi as the power guy, and Kenyon Drake uh, as, as the player that goes out and, and catches some passes in flat if he can get up to that speed so no no problem at all for me uh with ajay or foster being the starter because the reality is when you look at it it's just by title only i expect these players to get to get rotated in and out throughout the lineup throughout the season still would have liked lamar miller here in a dolphins uniform but we're going to move on from that the best way we can yeah and one thing i just want to point out to a lot of fans i'm sure most folks that are listening to us are aware of this that first death chart usually it's essentially playing with funny money. Um, it can be everything from the coaches sending a message to a player, good or bad, to them going ahead and slotting the incumbent when really their intention as well is, is to slot in a younger player or an offseason acquisition but make them earn it. So there's a lot of stuff that the first depth chart is usually essentially a, a, somebody sitting in the back office almost with a crayon and, and filling names in, you know, somewhat logical way, but it's really nothing that really fully represents what we're going to see in the beginning of September. Well said. And looking at what we are going to see here at the beginning of September, Paul and I are going to predict and grade the Dolphins' 53-man roster position by position. So here's what we did in preparation for this. Paul wrote out his own 53-man roster. I wrote my own, and then we emailed them to one another after that. So we actually had 47 
of the same 53 players predicted on this 53-man roster. Not bad, Paul. I think we're kind of in cahoots on this. Yeah, I was, I was almost a little bummed that we didn't have more drastic differences. I mean, definitely some good discussion points for a few of the folks that we put on there. But to be honest with you, I mean, it shows that there is a logical aspect to this. And really, those six guys, those should be the ones that we, we end up backfilling anyway off of the team's rosters. Because let's face it, week three and week four, there's a lot of players cut and a lot of players sign elsewhere that that supplement the depth at that bottom end of the roster. Always that roster churn on good teams. Yeah, so let's get let's get started with this here at the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, I was I was expecting for us to be kind of in agreement on this, but evidently not. So that first position we'll talk about at quarterback, we both have obviously Ryan Tannehill making the team. And our second and potentially third guys, you have Brandon Dowdy making the team as the second quarterback and Matt Moore getting cut. What was your reasoning behind that, Paul? Well, Matt Moore, and this isn't my own personal grudge. I know people that have listened to the show in the past know I have pointed out that Matt Moore should have been traded at the point where Miami could have got something for him. When I look at a backup quarterback, I look at I look for a couple of things. Is this a guy that can get it done if your starter goes down? Yes or no. Matt Moore for me used to be that guy. If you've watched him play in limited action and in preseasons over the past couple of years, he's not the same guy anymore, which at his best and in his prime was an overachieving bottom of the middle tier quarterback. And he's not at that point anymore. So he's a guy that really Miami needs to look to replace. Now, Brandon Dowdy, he's a guy that may or may not be able to get it done, but he has the potential to ascend to be that guy, whereas Matt Moore is probably never going to recover the form that he had prior to Ryan Tannehill taking his starting job. You know, Matt Moore, uh, I have more of him than you, than you have over the years, but looking back to 2011, which is really his only body of work in the NFL, I mean, yeah, that was five years ago, and... I thought with Matt Moore, the Dolphins could have done without re-signing him. And, hey, if you get until late August and you end up signing a Bruce Gradkowski uh, or some other backup out there in the free agent market, then I, I thought that would have been enough. I think Matt Moore will make the team. He's got $1.6 million guaranteed, and I don't have Brandon Dowdy making the team. But we have heard good things about Brandon Dowdy coming out of camp, and Dan Marino is supposedly a big fan of Dowdy as well. Incredible numbers in college. I believe he only had 17 interceptions, 89 touchdowns, something like that. Uh, so Dowdy is somebody who does really fit that backup quarterback mold. So. I've got Matt Moore making the team. Paul has Brandon Dowdy. Some people have both. Paul, looking at the position in general, uh, the Dolphins quarterback position, obviously the biggest player on that is Ryan Tannehill. How do you feel about Ryan Tannehill going into 2016? You know, we were expecting really to, for the Dolphins to push ahead as a playoff team last year, and there's always debate in the Dolphins community of whether or not that's Tannehill's fault. Uh, I think as the quarterback, he, he has had the ability to impact that both positively and negative and his play on the field has positive and negative moments. I do think he's a guy who has a lot of raw talent. I think he was a little more raw coming out of college. But let's face it, people are down on the kid when he throws 4,000 yards. He's he's shown the ability, and I think he's finally going to have the coaching guidance that has been sorely lacking throughout his career thus far. Let's, let's not only look at the fact that he was very raw coming out of college. He was very raw and then had to learn from Joe Philbin, Mike Sherman, the guys that thought hut and hut hut, the cadences that told people whether they were running or passing, and the timing of their snap wasn't a problem. So 
I'm going to give Tannehill the benefit of the doubt. The fact that it takes a little longer to grow when you don't have that strong coaching presence around you. And, and really hope for the best. The fact that Gase like the guy and the fact that, that he does seem to have some rapport with some of the receivers on this team already and another year of growth with these guys. I think this could be an exciting year for Tannehill, even if it starts out a little slow, given the fact that he's running a new offense and doing some new things. Yeah, I'm someone who admittedly straddles the fence on Ryan Tannehill. The key thing that has been said by Dolphins fans this offseason is excuses for Ryan Tannehill are out. There are no more excuses. I agree with that statement. I also think that the, quote, excuses over the last four years have been pretty damn good excuses. One, one of which is being coached by Joe Philbin and Bill Lazor uh, and Mike Sherman over the last three years. You know, it's, it's amazing when you have a front office who thinks the guy's worth a $100 million contract and a coaching staff who won't let him audible. So that's good that we're now somewhat on the same page between our, our front office and our coaching staff. You know, what broke my heart last year with Tannehill wasn't even necessarily not making the playoffs. It was the last about six or seven games where, for example, in Dallas, uh, or when we were playing Dallas, the Dolphins didn't score a point in the second half, lose 24 to 14 after Tony Romo, you know, is playing the game hurt. In the against the Jets, you get blown out. Against uh, the Giants, you, know, you couldn't win the shootout. Against the Chargers, you're blown out. Against the Colts, you didn't score a touchdown. You know, that's what I'm hoping Ryan Tannehill gets correct. I think he's much better at the deep ball than he was initially given credit for. I think a lot of that now looking back was Mike Wallace. When you take a look at how accurate he was to Wallace, inaccurate he was to Wallace, and how accurate he was to the rest of the people thrown deep. And you look at the surrounding cast with Devontae Parker now in his second year, Landry in his third, Jordan Cameron's on the offense for a second year, and now you've got some pass protection around him. But until I see Ryan Tannehill do it, I'm going to be convinced that he's plateaued to this point. Overall, Paul, I'm going to give the quarterback position a B-. minus. What's going to be your grade? I'll give them a B+. Plus. And, and I think there's a potential for it to go a lot higher, given the fact that we should have a healthy offensive line this year. The offensive line does have some depth behind it, so Tannehill shouldn't have to be running for his life. He's also got a lot of receivers now that have an insane catch radius, uh, as opposed to, you know, oh, you hit me in the hands, maybe I'll catch it, maybe I won't, and that he's had over the past few years. So uh, I think he's going to have the opportunity here to do some special things. You know, if... Tannehill shows the ability to move his feet more, to take the appropriate risks, and I just want to see the guy identify one-on-one coverage downfield and take that shot. Now, it, it doesn't have to be a completion every time, but more aggressive with the football, identifying that one-on-one coverage, operating on it quickly. The running back position, we're in agreement definitely on three players making the roster. Paul Arian Foster, Jay Ajayi, and Kenyon Drake. Our fourth guy that we had, I, I have Damian Williams making the roster. You have former St. Louis Ram Isaiah Pete. What was your thought process behind keeping Isaiah Pete on the roster? Um, I think for me, a good portion of that was consistency was something that I said in the offseason uh, when, we, when we reviewed the running back positions with CK this spring. It's Kenyon Drake is a guy that when you watched his college tape, Everything that he does and does well is essentially the role that we see from Damian Williams on the Dolphins over the past few years. Damian Williams, uh, to me, there were reports early on that he was kind of already in the coach's doghouse in the offseason programs, um, not from any type of off-field stuff, just not really a fit for what they wanted to do. The fact that Miami brought in so many backup running backs to come in tells you that they didn't have the confidence in this guy. And for me, I look at 
if Kenyon Drake is going to be doing all the things that Damian Williams was doing, what the hell is the point in, in Damian Williams? And then Isaiah Steve's a guy that, while he hasn't seen a whole lot of action, has flashed some talent in the past. You're not going to go with with, with Daniel Thomas here, God willing. So you've got to look at this guy. And basically, to me, he was the best of the options behind our top three in a Jody Foster and Drake. Yeah, and I hope if Isaiah, Isaiah Pete does make the roster, uh, there's a trend where there's T-shirts that say you got Pete on. That would be phenomenal. Because if we could do that, then we've really got something. Can we put pictures of Daniel Thomas on there? <laughs> oh, well, man, oh, man. Yeah, maybe. Um, well, uh, <laughs> Daniel Thomas, right now, the only way I see him making the roster is if we were talking pass protection skills, then maybe. But, yeah, I, I, Pete is a player, former second-round pick of the Rams, never was a good fit, wasn't, uh, you know, he and Trey Mason for the Rams drafted in the second and third round and started having some, some issues and some problems mentally when they when they started getting there and getting into the swing of things. Hopefully Pete is starting to feel a little more acclimated to the NFL. Maybe he can make an impact. But he was the MVP of the Senior Bowl, you know, in 2012, the year he was drafted. Uh, I have Damian Williams still making the team simply because I think he's good at several things and specifically pass protection and special teams. And if I think the Dolphins do have to keep a fourth running back because even when you look at the top three guys, Foster, Ajayi, and Drake, very injury prone. So, or Drake is not necessarily injury prone, but didn't get a lot of reps at Alabama. So, you've got two injury prone veterans, and you've got uh, a rookie who only touched the ball 90 something times last year. So, no, I think it's really important that the Dolphins keep a fourth guy. I'm going to say Damian Williams for now. Overall, Paul, what are you going to grade the running back position? Uh, I'll give this a solid B, uh, but also I think there's room to grow here. Uh, Jai did show a lot of promise last year. All reports inside the Dolphins' front office are that they saw Jai surpassing Lamar Miller talent-wise and actually is potentially the better running back towards the end of last season, uh, which I look at it and go, okay, there's room to grow. They got a former, I believe, uh, Foster won the MVP award one year. Uh, I could be wrong. I know he. I know he definitely had the rushing title. But so you look at these guys, and there is the talent there to surpass that. Be great. So they could do a lot of special things, and I like the running back position, even if I don't absolutely love it. I'm going to go with a C minus for the running back spot. You know, this is not a unit I'm impressed by at this time, but. Again, I go back to this, is that if, if your offensive line does its job and your passing game is where it needs to be too, you tend to be able to plug running backs in and out of there. You know, I really wish they had kept Lamar Miller. If not, I wish they had, they had signed C.J. Anderson. I thought they were plug-and-play types of guys. But, you know, Foster coming off a torn, a torn Achilles last year, and now he comes back and he's on the PUP immediately when he shows up. Ajaye, you know, was showed up and not the healthiest and that goes back to his Boise State days and Kenyon Drake I think he's a ways away from being able to carry the load on anything so not a position I feel great in but I think it's a position the Dolphins can move forward with but I'm going to give them a C- minus for now. The wide receiver spot Paul, um, we're in agreement on the top five guys and pretty happy about the, these top these or, or these top five receivers for the Dolphins. Uh, Jarvis Landry Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills rookie Leontes, rookies Leontay Carew and uh, Joaquin Grant. So, other than that, uh, you also have Matt Hazel, not surprisingly, making the 53-man roster. I do, um, mainly because I think guys like Joaquin Grant are going to see the field on offense more uh, sparingly, and 
Matt Hazel's going to be more of that reliable receiver type that can come in and be that fifth receiver on a more regular basis. He's a guy that you know. I've made no secret of the fact that I like. Uh, we've talked with Ian Wharton, and he does a lot of good things uh, from what Ian Wharton's seen. When we talked to Troy Drayton, we brought up Matt Hazel. He couldn't say enough good things about the kid and what he does out on that practice field and when, when given that opportunity. And I think he's a guy that, you know, I, I just I love this young receiving court, to be honest with you. I, I think there's a lot of special things here. And while we may not be 100% convinced on, on the running back position, there's a several guys on this receiving core that we could see take them end around and do some fun and special things with. So there's a lot of exciting things that can be done from that as well. Yeah, if Matt Hazel shows something this preseason and Leonte Carew and Jakeem Grant do, or let's just say, so let's say Jakeem Grant does as well, that's going to be interesting to see if the Dolphins do keep six receivers because if the Dolphins are going to keep Jakeem Grant as their fifth guy, we believe that he is, that they will, and it would be shocking at this point if Grant did so much to not earn himself a spot on this team. You know, there's drafted in the middle of the sixth round. They almost always make the roster at that spot. And and he's supposed to be our kick returner and punt returner. Then from that point, you're not only keeping five receivers on your 53, you're keeping five on your 45-man active game day roster, too, because Grant's the kick returner. So because of that, I think Hazel's going to get cut. But if he shows something, and it would be a tough cut, uh, and it comes to that, I think he would be picked up pretty quickly by another NFL team. The tight ends uh, are actually the wide receiver spot, Paul. Um, I'm going to give this unit a B-plus. I'm going to give it a B-plus as well. And one thing that I, I just want to keep beating on is I believe every single one of these receivers, at least through this season, is still on their rookie deal, uh, including Kenny Stokes. And that shows a tremendous amount of upside for the future because all these kids have something special about them. And, uh, in the upcoming weeks and months, we're going to have a very interesting conversation as well with Jarvis Landry and his contract extension. He's in a, going into year three of four in his rookie contract. Dolphins cannot re-sign him until after this third year. I asked Dolphins fans, should, the Dol- should Jarvis Landry be re-signed? And just by asking the question, people want to hit me about it and say, okay, fine. If you want to re-sign him, no questions asked. They're fine. Five years, $75 million. If, if, if that's the ticket and then people say, oh, Brian, no, that's not, no. Hey, come on. That, that, that's way too much. Don't be ridiculous. We'll talk in future weeks about why that's a possibility. Uh, why he gets you know fifteen fifteen million dollars and it's becoming more of a hot button issue among Dolphins fans. Yeah, and, and one thing I want to add with Landry as well, there have been a lot of reports about not only his play but the fact that he's been assuming a leadership role both by example and vocally in that locker room and and really embracing that. So there's a lot of special things about that. I wouldn't be shocked to see it end up being something like five years, fifty five, sixty million, but. Let's put a pin in that and see what happens after this offseason because, let's face it, there's going to be a lot of discussion about that and plenty of time to talk about it. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Miami keep him here. This is a guy that you and I both know from going to Web Weekend. Everyone we've talked to behind the scenes, even before his rookie year, uh, when he, it was just the offseason, one name everybody stood out was Landry. And, and that's something special when everybody from Kimbo Camper to past coaches, past players, current players, you name it, that we talked to, everybody had his name come out of their mouth that year. And that was mm-hmm. before he did anything on the field. He can, he and his agent can go to the negotiating table after this, these three years. If he catches 66 or more passes, he's going to be able to go to the negotiating table and say, I have more catches than anybody else in the history of 
of the game in my first three years, uh, unless Odell Beckham catches more passes than him. So it'll be one of the top two. You've got that. You've got just turned 24 years old, your quarterback's favorite weapon, and you've been losing a lot of players in your own backyard over the last couple of off seasons. You know, recently Lamar Miller and Olivier Vernon. So it's going to, I have a feeling it's going to get ugly. Hopefully the Dolphins can get something done and re-sign this guy and get him back quickly um, before all Dolphins fans start killing each other. Anyway, the tight end spot moving along, Paul. Uh, is probably one we're going to have some disagreement with on our grade. Jordan Cameron, Deion Sims, seventh round a rookie, Thomas Duarte from UCLA. We have those three guys making the roster as well. So how would you grade this position? For me, I'd give it a B minus. Uh, the only one that I really see as any form of blocking threat, uh, if needed, is Deion Sims. Uh, I do like the receiving capabilities. As you know, I'm not a huge fan of Jordan Cameron based on last season. If he is able to recover the form he had prior to last season and is able to get on the same page as with Tannehill, this is another position that that grade could go way up. We'll, we'll see, but not a huge fan of, of, of the Cameron resigning. Even though I like Cameron more than you do, I could have been okay with releasing Jordan Cameron and getting like a Jermaine Gresham type in here to play some tight end, simply because if you cut Jordan Cameron, you may be able to re-sign Lamar Miller, and I definitely would have had Miller over Cameron. But looking back, what shocked me is that in the first two games of last year, Jordan Cameron has seven catches for 135 yards in his first two games, leads the team, and then over the last 14 games, Cameron averages averages 19 receiving yards a game, you know, especially in one-on-one situations. And I hope he gets that opportunity this year. Deion Sims, after that week one last year with the Redskins, where he had a concussion after that Aaron thrown by Ryan Tannehill, was never the same. Uh, Thomas Duarte is a guy we're both excited about. Weird CK talk about him, you know, weeks before the draft at that tight end spot. He gave Sua Cravens a lot of problems at USC, the second round pick of the Redskins. Um, So hopefully he can get on the field and be a little bit of that move player uh, as well. Maybe after the year, if Cameron isn't producing, Duarte starts entering the conversation to to get some receptions in this packing order. I'm going to give him a B B minus too. I was expecting you to grade him a little bit lower, Paul. Uh, B minus I'll go with as well. So looking at the offensive line, really the biggest part of this offseason and they've been struggling a little bit in camp uh, as well but you know with Laramie Tunzel battling for that left guard spot we've got a lot of moving pieces with versatility at this point in camp doesn't surprise me going up against that defensive line that that they're not doing all that well so we have seven guys that we agree on making the roster Brandon Albert at left tackle Tunzel at left guard provided he wins that job Mike Pouncey at center, Billy Turner at right guard, Jawan James at right tackle. And then as our backups, for sure, we have locked in Jermon Bushrod and, and Jameel Douglas. Paul, we agree, we disagree a little bit on the backups. You have Dallas Thomas making the roster as our eighth guy. I actually have nine players making the roster. Dallas Thomas getting cut for Craig Urbick and Ulrich John, who is a little bit of my surprise to make the roster this year. Also, Dallas Thomas as your eighth guy, is that something you cringed a little bit putting on your final 53, or what was your thought behind that? Believe it or not, I actually did not cringe putting Dallas Thomas on my, on my 53. Uh, he, he's a guy that, yeah, he has not been a special player for Miami. I, I'm not even going to pretend. But <clears throat> all reports out of the offseason, he's one of the guys that the coaching staff has said a lot of good things about, um, especially given the work they've put into it with him. Uh, he is a guy that, while he did have his bonehead moments as per usual last year, there were a few games where Dallas Thomas may have been potentially the best player on the offensive line for those games. So uh, 
I can't say we, we need to cut the guy, even if he is just somebody that comes in and adds a lot of depth. He's got positional flexibility for, to play guard and tackle. And when you're only keeping eight or nine offensive linemen, that only gives you three or four backups behind the, the guys that are out there. So you need people that can play center. You need people that can play guard. You need people that can play tackle. So having those guys with positional flexibility like Dallas Thomas, like Jamil Douglas, and like Jermon Bushrod really stands out to me. Although I could see scenarios where they do keep either Urbic, John, or even Sam Young potentially as the ninth guy behind those. Yeah, Dallas Thomas, when you look at him, it has, does have starting experience, has versatility. I, I still look back at week week 15 last year, Pro Football Focus had him rated as the 88th guard out of 88. I, I thought he was the worst from beginning to end on the offensive line. And to me, the difference between he and Billy Turner and Jameel Douglas, I don't think Dallas Thomas will improve. You know, I heard last year that he came in, he was bigger, he was stronger, he was better. He looked like the same steaming pile of you-know-what that I saw the first couple of years. So I, I, I'm not hoping that he makes the roster. And furthermore, if the Dolphins can, at the guard spot, get to a point where they say, you know, okay, Tunzel's ready to start. Craig Urbick's a very good backup for him. We would take Urbick over Dallas Thomas. That's when I think the Dolphins, at that point, know that in the offseason they improve the offensive line. But right now, right here today, Dallas Thomas is looking like the starting left guard. Uh, it's going to be a couple of weeks till uh, he, is, he officially solidifies that position if he continues to, to stay ahead of the pack. But overall, I think Laramie Tunzel is going to win that starting left guard job. I really hope that he does, too. So looking at the rest of the offensive line, Brandon Albert, Mike Pouncey, Juwan James. Interesting stat that when those three guys are starting on the offensive line over the last two years, the Dolphins are 6-1 and one when they do. So big, big factor if we can get Brandon Albert and Juwan James at those tackle spots and Mike Pouncey at center playing at a high level and staying healthy on the field. Otherwise, the Dolphins do have some um, backup and some versatility with, with Bushrod, Jameel Douglas, maybe Dallas Thomas, maybe Craig Urbic, who can rotate in positions. I also have Ulrich John as my surprise make in the team. Six seven, three hundred pounds, and I, I hope that he can be the Dolphins' long-term swing tackle. Well, overall, it's it's hard to grade this position, but right now I'm going to give this position because of the uncertainty. I'm going to give it a, give it a B minus. Well, I think you and I are actually going to disagree a great deal on this one. Then um, this is a position that, like we talked about before, we didn't see five healthy starters in two consecutive games for the whole game all of last season. There's a lot of young guys that have done a lot of good things, and if you tell me that starting five is going to be Albert, Tunsil, Pouncey, Turner, and James, they're able to stay healthy, and then you've got Jermon Bushrod, Dallas Thomas and Jameel Douglas behind them. And so if one does go down, there's a little bit better option to, to fill in. Basically, and that's assuming the, <clears throat> the growth of Dallas Thomas's offseason. I'm going to give these guys an A-. I think the fact that Miami's going to be able to do some flexible things on offense as well is going to make that offensive line look better. So I'm giving these guys an A-. I, I actually really am excited about the offensive line this season. I'll tell you what, if the Dolphins at the end of the year are an A- on the offensive line, it means that they've earned the first playoff spot since 2008. That that's, I think it's that meaningful. And it's why I was so upset that the Dolphins did not get a guard in free agency. They luckily fell ass backwards in the Laramie Tunzel at 13. Hopefully he makes them very happy for that decision. So looking at the defensive side of the ball, Paul, taking a look. Defensive line is one that is drawing rave reviews so far in camp. 
camp. Not much of a surprise. Looks like it's going to be the lifeblood of this team. So taking a look at that position, we we have and who we have making the roster. We agree on nine defensive linemen. So we've got the starters, Cameron Wake and Mario Williams, a defensive tackle, Sue and Mitchell. And then the backup roles, Jason Jones will probably supplant Wake on first down, on rundowns. Jordan Phillips, second-year player. Andre Branch signed from Jacksonville. Deion Jordan back. And Terrence Fide, we, we each have making the roster as well. From there, we have we have two disagreements. I, I actually have Chris McCain and Chris Jones making the team as the 10th and 11th players. You have Derek Coleman, who started to get on the field and started to show something as our 10th defensive lineman last year. So, Paul, um, thoughts on this position? Well, for me, Coleman was really my very last bottom end of the roster. Do I or don't I guy to throw on here? Um, one thing I like about the way Miami built their defensive end position and have done in the past, they build it with guys that can kick inside the tackle in the fourth three. I could very easily see a situation where they do jettison Coleman and keep Chris McCain, especially given the reports that he's done well in camp. You know, for me, I just look at it as I think Phillips finally supplants Mitchell as a starter this offseason. You definitely have to have some depth behind him with defensive tackle. You don't want to be piecemealing the middle of your defensive line if somebody goes down due to injury. Unless you're going to kick those guys inside, then I see them having to keep a guy like Coleman or backfill from somebody else's roster during the third and fourth weeks of the preseason. So, Paul, sticking with the defensive line spot, at defensive end, the Dolphins are going to have Cameron Wake and Mario Williams. 31 and 35 years old. Wake coming off a torn Achilles. Showed last year that he's going to be that he's going to be a player that, moving forward, he's not playing 50 or 60 snaps a game. And if so, the Dolphins are not using him correctly. Uh, so, there's going to be at defensive end a lot of third, fourth, and fifth ends filling in and rotating with Wake and Mario Williams. How do you see that rotation playing out? Well, I think the interesting thing, and I, I know we've talked about Deion Jordan a few times in the past, I think Jordan's a guy that if he's even half of what he was when he went out of football, if he's supposedly in this phenomenal shape that we've all heard about um, this offseason, which is all they're going to say, he could be a guy just like Chris McCain that could not only be depth for the defensive end position, but also be depth for the outside linebacker position in certain scenarios. Same thing with some of the other defensive ends being able to kick inside a defensive tackle. So I see a lot of interesting things. I wouldn't be surprised if Wake is kept a little fresh and primarily utilized on passing downs, which was when he was most effective last year. And you see a guy like Branch starting or Fide starting and taking over those those first and second down scenarios and, and then just bringing Wake in on third in passing situations. I think that's a role that he can thrive. Yeah, looking at the DN spot, yeah, I really like the signing of Jason Jones. With Dallas, or excuse me, with Detroit over the last couple of years, he was that big stock first down defender opposite Ezekiel Ansa, uh, and I see him playing that same role and he, you can also potentially see him scoot inside on third down and, and play play next to Ndamukong Sue as well unless Jordan Phillips takes that role but you've got a lot of different options here uh, on on your defensive line I, you know in looking at one of my favorite offseason pickups was Jim Washburn who's going to be a, a defensive assistant for the Miami Dolphins really bring in that wide nine scheme that worked well in terms of getting to the quarterback back with the Titans and with the Lions. And when I look at the new coaching staff with Vance Joseph and with Jim Washburn and in this defensive 
brain trust. Now you've got not only Wake and, and, and Williams, but you've got Jason Jones, who is that plugging, is run-stopping DN. And then you have guys who are untapped with a lot of physical talent. Andre Branch, Deion Jordan, Terrence Fiday, Chris McCain. Out of those four, last, the, the last four guys I, I mentioned, Jordan, Fiday, McCain, uh, and Andre Branch. I think you're going out of those guys. I think you're going to get one or two very good players with the right coaching. So I'm excited about this defensive line in general. That's why I do have a lot of players making the team. Chris Jones. Jones has looked good uh, in training camp. I've heard this from several beat writers. Barry Jackson said it the other or just yesterday. And he was a player I was surprised to see New England cut because he was starting to get defense or starting snaps with them until they switched their defense around and there are too many cooks in the kitchen. So as our fourth defensive tackle, I hope Chris Jones does make the roster. But DeAndre Coleman, 6'5", 340, brings a lot of that size uh, and was looking pretty good, too, uh, before uh, his, his year was cut short. So very interesting with the defensive line. Overall, I'm going to give this position graded at a B plus. Paul, what do you give the defensive line hey, heading into this training camp? I'm going to give them an A-, minus. but like I've said for several other positions, I do see the room for growth that could put them up over the top. Jake Mario Williams is able to regain his pre-rex Ryan form. Dick Cameron Wake is able to beat that specialist. If these guys are able to move around, they could ascend past that A minus grade. But I really think this defensive line is what sets the table for everything behind them on that defense. They could make a lot of players a little bit more special throughout this season. Right, and part of that, well, we talked about Paul, and I'll give them, a, I'll give them a B plus. But part of what we talked about with the defensive line is, and having eleven players, like you touched on earlier, Chris McCain and Deion Jordan can play linebacker in certain situations as well. So I think that factors into why I have eleven defensive linemen and five linebackers. So I have them keep. We both have them keeping Kiko Alonzo. Koamisi, Jelani Jenkins, Neville Hewitt, and Zach Vigil. And that is the backup linebackers. I actually only had them keeping five because of Jordan and McCain's ability in a pinch to move over to that linebacker spot. You also had them keep, keeping uh, James Michael Johnson as your sixth linebacker. I did. I could very easily see him, believe it or not, getting supported by Danny Lansana, depending on who's able to contribute on special teams this offseason. But given the health concerns for all three of the starters, there's a lot of possibility here for some of these younger linebackers to step in and, and have a role this season. Kiko Alonso, we all know his injury history. Koenisi, while he hasn't missed extended time too often, he's also been a guy that's struggled to finish a lot of games as seasons wear on. And then Shalani Jenkins as well has been a guy that's battled a lot of leg injuries throughout his career. So, <clears throat> again, there, there's definitely some concern. So they've got to have a backup plan at any given moment based on the injury history of these guys until they prove otherwise. And that's where it gets interesting with Lansana because he has started 22 games over the last two years with the Bucks. Actually, two years ago, he had three interceptions, two returned for touchdowns. So he does have starting experience in the league. He is going to be 31 at the end of the month. Uh, you know, isn't the spring chicken you want to keep as, as a backup on your roster? But if the Dolphins are experiencing problems here with Alonzo, Misi, and Jenkins, who are not the healthiest players, you could see Lance Sonner or somebody else making the roster. Uh, Mike Hall is somebody else that figures into the mix. Uh, dressed in three games last year. James Burgess uh, from Louisville, an, an undrafted free agent, as well as Mel Blount, Blunt's son, Akil Blount, as well. So, Paul, a few other linebackers factoring in the mix, perhaps at the end of training camp. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Burgess and Blount, because they're two guys that, while I was writing up my my uh, 53, I had in there at various points in time uh, because they are two young talents that I really like. Um, one thing I want to touch on with Lance Santa real quick is that I actually had the opportunity to 
get to spend a little bit of time with the guy at a tailgate this this spring up at UConn. And <clears throat> he may be 31 years old. You wouldn't know it if you were standing next to the guy. He looks like he's in his mid-20s. He's in phenomenal shape. Uh, he's absolutely massive without pads on even, um, and not in a, in a flab kind of way. Just really well-built guy that could step in. And like you said, he had those three interceptions a couple of years ago. So he could be a guy that fills in if he's able to show some stuff in the spring. So there's a lot of young guys that could very easily unseat some of the guys that we have on this roster, even though Hugh and Vigil showed a lot of promise last year. And Spencer Pacing are also factors into the competition. But yeah, you're right, Paul. Lansana, am I saying that correctly? Uh, Lansana. Lansana, darn it. Uh, so Lansana, you know, given his starting experience, I, I think that at the end of camp, he gets a much more increased chance of making the roster if Alonzo, Nisi, and Jenkins are, are hurt in any way. And because you know that's going to be an issue during the year. Otherwise, I, I hope the Dolphins do go with, with the five linebackers, with Hewitt and Vigil as the backup. And then always be mindful of McCain and Deion Jordan being in there too. So, Paul, what do you grade the linebacker position? This is probably the hardest one to grade. The potential is there for it to be anywhere from an A-plus to a C-minus, and that it's that broad because of the injury history we talked about. Until these guys prove they can stay healthy, even though they have the promise to be so much more, the best I can give them is a B or a B-minus. And for me, I'm going to give them a B-minus for now until they show that they can stay on the field. It is the biggest crapshoot outside that second cornerback position going into the offseason of who the hell knows who is going to be starting because we don't know if these guys can even make it through camp. It's, that's going to be the big thing at linebacker. Alonzo, Misi, and Jenkins, if you told me they're going to start 16 games each, which I highly doubt, then I'd give the position probably a B or a B plus, but I'm going to give them a C plus because of that uncertainty and that lack of proven depth. Though I do think highly of, of Neville Hewitt and Zach Vigil. And one good thing, one silver lining with Misi and Jenkins uh, being hurt or out for the last six games of the year were that we got to see some Neville Hewitt and Zach Vigil who looked like at least that they belonged in the NFL. So good special teams players, good backups at this time. Hopefully we, we get to see Jordan and, and McCain get some get a few looks as well if everything works out. But I'll give him a C plus. Defensive back, Paul, really seems to be the, the spotlight and not in a good way in training camp so far. You know, the uh, Dolphins have overhauled their cornerback spot. Gone are, are Bryce McCain, Brent Grimes, Jamar Taylor, and now the starting defensive backs. You'll you see Byron Maxwell, and opposite him, you've got a you've got a battle between a few players. So, first of all, what do you grade this defensive back spot overall? For me, I actually separate the safety and the corner positions. For me, I think the safety position is the strongest position on this defense. Uh, you, even given the strength of the defensive line, the starting two with with. IAQ and Rashad Jones, to me, is a, is a solid A with no question mark after it. These are two phenomenal players to back into that defense. As far as the corner position, depends. Do we get good Byron Maxwell or bad Byron Maxwell? By all reports, it's good Byron Maxwell, but we're a week into camp at this At the other side of the ball, do we get converted wide receiver Tony Lippett that's as good as he looked like he might be last season? Is Xavier Howard going to be the guy that Miami thought he wasn't moved up to get? Does Bobby McCain take that next step? Tune in next week to find out. There are so many question marks there, and you let a pro bowler walk, despite any other outside of football aspects of it, you let a pro bowler walk, and you didn't backfill appropriately. So you've got to have a lot of faith in these young guys, and Vance Joseph really has to work his magic that he worked for those broken toys up there in Cincinnati with these young players to make them something special because let's face it 
who the hell knows with, with, with the corner position. You could even give it a complete, I'll give it a C at this point and, you know, cross my fingers and hope that the D-line play, the safety play, and so healthy play for the linebackers makes all these guys better and then somebody's able to really step up and seize the reins back there. Yeah, if I look at the uh, point to a position and say this is the one that's going to haunt the Dolphins, it is that cornerback spot for the exact reasons that you said there, Paul. I would have loved for the Dolphins to have signed a Casey Hayward or a Patrick Robinson, just a professional. I think cornerback is one of those spots that you just don't mess with. And not only did the Dolphins not have a, a number two cornerback right now, you know, with Tony Lippett and, and injured Xavier Howard, and you've, you've got Chimdi Chekwa signing there. Or, or excuse me, uh, uh, lining up there as the number two guy. You, you drafted Jordan Lucas in the sixth. But overall, not only do you not have four cornerbacks, which is what you need throughout a game, but you, you don't even have two at this point. And that, that's a big, big concern. Michael Thomas and, and um, uh, Bobby McCain at this point and at the nickel spot, I feel a little bit better about. But that, that, those second, the second cornerback spot and that dime spot, that number four cornerback with Xavier Howard down and losing a lot of very important reps, uh, I'm worried about a big time. And that that's going to be something that the Dolphins are going to have to look throughout the year. So if I'm grading the position, yeah, I'm with you, Paul. I, I, I give the safety position a solid A. And then the quarterback spot, I, I'd even go lower. I'd even go with a D because Byron Maxwell, if we get the one we got last year at Philly, we get a average at best quarterback. The other spot, you know, if you've got Chemdi Chekwa, who has been a career special teamer with the Oakland Raiders as your starting guy, man, oh man, that's pretty rough. But what, the funny thing is we agreed on all 11 of the defensive backs making the roster. So I'll go down the list. Starting Maxwell, Tony Lippett at cornerback, Isa and uh, Rashad Jones at the safety spot. And then our backups, Michael Thomas, Bobby McCain, Xavier Howard, Walt Akins, Jordan Lucas, Chemdi Chekwa, and Shamil Gary as their 11th. We both had Shamil Gary making uh, the final uh, the final 11 at the defensive back I love, spot. I love me some Shamil Gary. Um, he was a guy. Oh, I know you do. If you <laughs> Halfway through last season, if you had said his name, I would have looked at you and said, who? But then when he got some playing time down the stretch last year, he did a lot of exciting. Thing. So I mean, it, it's. I was glad to see he was kept on his on this roster. Um, and really, after watching the struggles of Walt Aikens and Michael Thomas last year, seeing somebody fill in that was able to do some things that were above adequate, even which we did, we saw a lot of games where we didn't see adequate play out of Walt Aikens and Michael Thomas. Uh, Michael Thomas, yeah. believe it or not, out of all these guys, was the one I almost removed from my fifty-three um, because as good as he was two years ago it was as bad as he was last year and if it comes down to Walt Akins versus Michael Thomas you have to go Walt Akins because the growth potential is probably a little bit higher with Akins even though he's struggled a lot as well I'll disagree with you, uh, Michael Thomas. I've always liked him more. And when he was given the, st- the safety job last year after Delmas went down, I thought that Michael Thomas uh, was not ready for that role at all. But I think when you moved him back into special teamer, nickel and dime back, I thought he played well. Uh, and so he, it'll be an interesting competition with him, with he and Bobby McCain here for that third quarterback spot. But I, I think he's one of the few players I don't get sick about being in our secondary. Walt Akins, to me, has shown absolutely nothing except potential. We don't know about Jordan Lucas. Xavier Howard, very raw coming out of Baylor and now has the injury setback. So Michael Thomas, to me, could be sadly our, our 
fifth best defensive back on the team. Dolphins did not re-sign uh, uh, Leon Hall, who used to play with Vance Joseph in Cincinnati. You've also got Cortez Allen out there, a cornerback, and a few other guys, but and pretty pretty slim pickings out there at the veteran defensive back spot. Moving on to special teams, Paul, we all are in agreement, not a surprise. Andrew Franks, our kicker, Matt Dar, the punter, John Denny, the long snapper. How would you grade this spot? Dar, far and away for me. I loved watching him last season. I know we talked about it last year. He was one of the first punters, and I'll preface that with Reggie Roby did not punt during the Tebow era, so I wasn't able to rewind it for this guy, for, for Reggie Roby, who was always exciting to watch. And uh, yeah, I may have just aged, aged myself because I think he was actually before you were even a Dolphin fan, Pat. Um, yep. But Dar is the first guy that I've essentially went, oh my God, and rewound a punt, not to watch the coverage, not to watch the return, but to watch the kick off this guy's foot and watch where he put the ball and the special way he was able to flip field position in a preseason game. To me, he's a guy with a lot of talent who's very special, and and he was able to unseat Brandon Fields, who was a very good punter in his own right, and people only half-jokingly talked about him being the team MVP a couple years ago. So he's, he's a very special player. Franks was a guy that added some reliability at the position. I'm hoping he doesn't follow suit with the number of kickers we've had over the past few years that get a little bit of sophomore this. Uh, but I think he's a guy that, that can do an at least adequate job, if not better, in, in that field goal game. You don't worry about him going out and kicking a game winner if he has to. So for me, then with old man Denny snapping the ball for the 500th season in a row, which is more than the Dolphins we've even been around, uh, you know, this is a very solid unit uh, under a very solid coordinator in Rizzi. I love this unit, and I think they're going to be just fine for me. I give them an A. Yeah, I'm going to go with a A minus for special teams for a lot of the re- reasons that you said. Andrew Franks put the ball in the end zone on kickoffs, which is more than I could say for Caleb Sturgis. In addition to that, yeah, he was okay as a kicker, but he really didn't ever have to nail any kicks. The Dolphins were either blowing the other team out or getting blown out in every game, mostly getting blown out. So Franks is somebody I, I, I've liked overall what I've seen. You know, I, I can't wait to see him a little bit more in, uh, in pressure situations. Matt Dar, yeah, Matt Dar had a Pro Bowl caliber season. Uh, he was third overall last year in punting average. It's 47.6 behind only Johnny Hecker and Pat McAfee, who were perennial punting pro bowlers. So Matt Dar definitely showed a lot of people. If the Dolphins could only develop punters or the rest of the team, the way they, they can, they can get punters, uh, they, they'd be fine. You know, you look at Brandon Fields and Donnie Jones and just going all the way back to the eighties with, with Reggie Roby, man, oh man, they, they just get one good one after the other. The rest of the team, not so much. I'll give them a. I'll give them an, e, an A minus. Yeah, I, I I agree with you on that as well. Um, anything on the roster stand out for you before we wrap up here? You know the defensive back spot is going to be interesting. I, I hope they do go with quantity over quality. And well, well, I mean there is no quality uh, in, in the backup. So I hope they do take people and retain some physically talented players that could potentially grow uh, in this de- among these defensive backs. Like you alluded to, Paul Vance Joseph in Cincinnati had a reputation of taking chicken crap and turning it into chicken salad. And but he also did that with 
Terrence Newman and Adam Jones, players who, who were talented, were former first-round picks. I wonder if they can do the same here with uh, with the likes of you know Xavier Howard and Chimdi Chekwa and, and Tony Lippett. But those players I mentioned, they are big enough. They do have the physical char- characteristics to get it done. Yeah. So anyway, folks, thanks for tuning in. We're going to be doing some fun things this offseason. I know we've mentioned it a little bit this episode, a little bit last episode. But you can catch all our stuff. We've got our new YouTube channel out there. Easiest way to find it is if you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash on the fin side. There's a little watch video button at the top of the page. Go ahead and click that and it'll take us right to our YouTube page. Click to subscribe. Make sure you like the videos and check them out there. We're trying to make it a little more accessible to, to get to the show this off season. So there's going to be a lot of fun ways that you can take a listen. Uh, we're going to be out on the Spreaker uh, hopefully next week. We want to get a few shows in the hopper for that before we launch it. Um, we're going to be out on the Miami Sports Music app in a few weeks. So that's yet another avenue to listen. Um, you can always follow our On the Fin Side page, www.onthefinside.com, to keep up with all the info. You can follow us on Twitter, uh, at On the Fin Side, and you can, as well as follow Cat at BrianCat13 or my all at Fanatic underscore pick. So lots of cool ways, lots of fun stuff. Keep an eye on On the Fin Side. We should have some information up there on how you can get to the show and how you can access it. But there's a lot of good stuff there. And thank you for tuning in. And with that, we'll go to Solo D and we'll close it out. Take care, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love the nation. DWA. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side. So low, so low, so low.